we need you to be in Romans chapter 10, also Matthew chapter 7, Romans 10 and Matthew 7. Uh, we're in a series that we begin at the beginning of the year. It's going to run all the way through June. It's uh, Level 4 Living. Now, I want to really quickly catch anybody up who doesn't know what we're talking about. And, and the idea behind this is God designed you to live at an incredible level. He wants you to experience amazing things. But that's only going to happen when you're at level four. Now, now level one is down here. That's the exploring level. That's where you're asking, you know, is this real? Uh, is there a God? And, and do I really understand what it means to be in a connection with him, invested with him, living life with him? Uh, why would I see Jesus as important in that process? And, and, and how do I go from being someone who says, well, yeah, I want to attend church to someone who has a very intimate, true, connected relationship with Jesus Christ? So you begin to explore it and ask lots of questions. And the vast majority of people who uh, go to church even, we think are at this level based on surveys that are done. Then the, the next level up is the conversion level. And, and that's where I actually say that's it. I, I understand now. And I want to open myself up to the Lord. I want the Holy Spirit to come in my life. And, and I want to really have a true, real, intimate relationship with him. Today we're going to talk about how you move from here to here. But, but this is the second level. Level three. This is where I'm in connection with God. When I pray, I know he hears me. Uh, uh, when I meditate, I know what that's about. And I, I'm in this amazing transformational moment with God as I meditate on Scripture. When I read the Bible, uh, it's like the words are jumping off the page. And, 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 and I just can't get enough of it. And, and so my prayer life, my meditation life, uh, uh, my experience through life, just my daily life is a daily prayer experience. And this is where I'm in connection with God. But then level four is an amazing place to be. This is where I am all out committed. I mean, literally, no holding back. I, I live a life where I want to say what Jesus said. Lord, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And God, if you say to do anything, I'll do it. And I've learned that the greatest life I could ever live is to be living at this level, totally committed to you, ready to do whatever you want me to do, ready to experience whatever you want me to experience. I'm going to be like Job. I want to be like Isaiah. I want to be like David. I, I want to really have that. Now, by the way, this isn't perfection, and it's huge for you to understand that. We're not talking about a perfect person. As a matter of fact, a level four person, maybe more than ever, knows their imperfections. And they're so amazed at a God who would love them in spite of who we could be sometimes or, or the missteps we can make or, or some of those kind of things that, that it's just this incredible love experience with God where we just want to live our life for him and to please him and, and we make an amazing turn to get there. Now, now, what I want you to grab hold of, though, is that there's a, a lot of misunderstandings a lot of people just don't get it. Now, let me, let me kind of give you one I think you might identify with. Do you realize nowhere in the Bible are we told to make Christians? Now, you ready for that? Nowhere in the Bible are we told to make Christians. The Bible says to go into all the world and make what? Disciples. Now, now the reason I think that's important is we're never talking about being a religious person. Uh, uh, we are told to go out and make people who are committed to following Christ with everything they have. And it says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, Jesus said. Now, if we understand the, the actual meaning of the word Christian, it's not a bad thing, but I think a lot of people don't get it. See, the word Christian means one who belongs to Christ. Now, I want you to think about that. It's not that I've joined something. If I'm a Christian, I belong to him. He's my Lord. 
He's the master and authority of my life. I belong to him. And the matter of fact, the Bible uses an interesting term. It's a bond slave. Out of a love for God, I'll say I'll serve him with everything I have. But that that meaning, that definition of Christianity has gotten lost somewhere where we believe that a Christian's going to church or a Christian is maybe I don't, you know, drink, smoke, cuss, or chew or go with girls who do. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, and, and we've kind of mixed up what it means. And, and, and I want to have you grab that's not what we're talking about. When we talk about moving from here to here, it's a relational, it's a relational change in our life. It's a dynamic, revolutionary, relational change. Now, what happens when someone's down here, they're, they're living one way. When they move into conversion, they're moving there because they've entered a relationship with Jesus Christ, a very real, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, not one or the other. It needs to be both as relationship as Savior, the one who saves me from self and sin, and from Lord, and Lord, one I live my life for. Listen to what it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Now I'll stop there. Uh, you may already know this, but I want to make sure there's nobody here who doesn't understand it. Uh, uh, this is a big deal. In the time this was written in, if you were caught saying that anybody other than Caesar was Lord, you were a traitor to Rome. And if you were a Roman official and you walked down the street and you met somebody, you would go, hail Caesar's Lord. But if someone became a Christian, a follower of Christ, uh, if they had, had become a disciple, then they're walking down the street, we only have one Lord. And we can't even say Jesus is Lord and Caesar's Lord. The bottom line is there's one Lord, one Savior, one Master. And so a Roman official walking down the street, when the friend said, hail Caesar's Lord, they would stop and say, no. Jesus is the only, and at that point, if you are a part of the Roman government, you would be arrested. You literally would be more likely than not tortured. You would lose everything you had. See, this idea that we just say it with our lips misses the whole point. It's a willingness to say, I believe in him so much, I would surrender everything of who I am in this moment. And so when Paul wrote these words at this time, nobody there missed it. And he said, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. In other words, the idea that I believe in my heart, that it's a heartfelt thing, is what God wants us to know about. Now, now, please don't miss this. See, I think we have a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to the whole idea of what the Bible says believing in God is. I, I have a lot of people come up and say, well, they must be a Christian because they believe in God. Well, James tells us the devil believes. Is the devil a Christian? No. Just believing with your head, that doesn't get you anything. Did you catch what it says here in Romans? By the way, make sure you're in Matthew 7. It says that you need to believe this in your heart. Uh, we're going to talk more about it in a moment, but I don't want you to miss this. It's believing from your heart. It's a loving trust, a love for God, that you love him with all your heart, mind, and soul. And you've entered into a love relationship with him. That's what it means about this relational change. Uh, Jesus gets at that when he's talking about Judgment Day. And this is Matthew 7, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus warns this, verse 21. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. 
Now, now gr grab what Jesus is saying. He said, lots of people are going to stand before me on judgment day and go, Lord, Lord. And I'm going to, Jesus said, I'm going to look at him and say, go. Now, by the way, where is he sending them? He's sending them to hell. They're going to go, but Lord, Lord. He's going to look and say, you didn't live it. Well, why are you saying it? You didn't live it. Why do you call me Lord? You, don't, you didn't do it. Depart. And they'll go, but wait a minute, Lord, Lord, in your name. Uh, uh, we prophesied, and in your name we cast out demons, and, and in your name we did many miracles. And the Lord's going to say, go away, I never, now you catch that line, I never knew you. The idea here is to have a true relationship with him. The word know there is a Greek word gnosko, and it means to know by experience, to have an experiential relationship. Not just to know he exists, but to actually know him. And Jesus said, we never had a relationship. You were never in a relationship with me. You could call out all the things you want. You could say, but I'm a Christian. And the Lord says, well, I didn't, I didn't start a religion. This is a relationship. Do you know me as Savior and Lord? And if you did, does your life reflect it? And, and the people are going to say, but Lord, Lord, uh, in your name, we, we prophesied. And, and Jesus is going to say, that's not good enough. You see, in this room right now, there's probably some of us who are here, including me, we have prophesied. The word prophesy means to stand and speak before. And so that means you preach Jesus. So maybe you've done that. Maybe you've been on a stage like this and you preach Jesus. Or maybe in your office there was a gathering of people and the door opened up and you said, well, I've got something so vital to share with you, so transformational, so earth-shaking, i got to tell you, and you had a chance to talk about Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? Even if you've done that, that's not going to get you to heaven. When I stand before the Lord, I can't go, well, Lord, I preached at Crossroads. He's going to say so. I mean, that doesn't get us anything. Now, the next thing he says, so they go, but Lord, we cast out demons in your name. I mean, I don't know, maybe you have cast out a demon before. I'm going to guess not many in the room have. But maybe you were sitting there at Thanksgiving. Your mother-in-law walks in the room. You said, in the name of Christ, be gone. <laughs> okay, I know I'm going to get emails on that. Just go ahead and send them. <laughs> Tony Wood at Crossroads Church. Just send them all you want. No, no, no. But you know what? I mean, he says even if you cast out a demon, that doesn't get you into heaven. And they go, but Lord, we did many miracles in your name. Have you done a miracle? How many people, you know, maybe a few of you, if you've literally been used by God to do a miracle, you're standing at your workplace next to the water cooler, you look around, water to wine. All of a sudden, it changes. People walk up and go, dude, budget cutbacks. What's this? Ooh, Cabernet Sauvignon. You know, you know, and, uh, but you know what? Jesus said, you could do all you want. The question isn't what you've done. The question is, do you know me? Do you know me, and do you listen to me, and do you live with me and for me? That's what it's all about. You've got to know me. Now, now turn in your Bibles over to um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. But, but this is the big key to it all. Knowing Jesus. Now that's what I want to, let me just tell you where we're about to head before I tell you what I'm about to say. How do I go from here to here and how does that help me know Jesus? How does that help me enter this relationship? Because that's what it's all about. See, I'm going to go ahead and tell you ahead of time. How do we get here? Well, you believe, you repent, you confess, and you get baptized. But, but you know, if someone goes, well, okay, I believe, but how does that get me to know Jesus? All right, I'll pray a prayer of repentance and I'll seek to live that life. How does it help me know Jesus? I'm willing to confess how. Baptism, I mean, how does that actually, all of a sudden I go, well, do I know him? And by the way, you need to understand these outward actions 
are, are a part of something that is inwardly supposed to be happening, and it does bring you from a place of, of exploring about God to truly knowing him. Now, in John 17, verse 3, Jesus defined the whole issue of life with these words. He said, this is eternal life that they may know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The Lord says, do you want to know what everything in your life really is going to revolve around and matter? Do you know me? And he goes, this is what I want for you. This is the life I have for you. I, I, I care about you. I love you. And you know what real life is? It's knowing. It's knowing the Lord, God the Father. It's knowing Jesus Christ. And, and that's the key of what he wants to get across. So much so, again, when judgment day comes, it's all going to be based on did we know him correctly. Look at 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 6. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And to give relief to those who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution. Two. Now stop there. He says there's a day coming when Jesus is going to return. The first time he came to be savior, the next time he comes to judge the earth. And he's going to split the sky. And when he comes in flaming fire, he comes to judge. Who is he going to come to judge? What is that judgment based on? Listen to what it says. He is going to deal out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, there's only two things that really define whether you go to heaven or not. Only two things that really define whether your life mattered truly or not. Do you know him in a very real intimate way and do you obey him? And anybody who does not know him and, does or, and or does not obey him, it says when he comes, there's actually judgment brought so much so in verse 9 it says, these, those who do not know God and those who do not obey the good news of Jesus Christ, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. They will pay. You see, God, when he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross, he, he did something amazingly loving and serious, and if someone treats that lightly or ignores it or foolishly, God will judge. And while God loves and cares, the bottom line, he says, I gave you a chance to know me, and if you don't want to know me and you don't want to listen to me, then the truth is there'll be judgment for you. Proverbs 3.32 tells us the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. The word intimate is he shares secrets with the upright. God created you. So that you and he would have such an intimate relationship that he would actually whisper things to you. That he would tell you secrets. The word intimate there is literally the sharing of a secret. That's why when you're in a relationship with God, God says to you, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things you didn't know. God says, I don't want you to live your life apart from me. I want to live with me. And I want it to be an intimate life. A life where you know me and you're experiencing me. That's what I want you to have. And, and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. But grab this. How do we do that? How do we actually come to know him? And this is what I, again, I want, if you're already a believer, I hope you jot these notes down so you can share with someone. How do you come to know God? And the idea here is that God needs for you to go through a born-again process. John chapter 1 is where I'm going to read. John 3 we'll read in a second. In John 1 it says this in verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How do we enter into this? It says you have to be born spiritually. 
It says when you receive Jesus in the correct way, you actually are not born in the flesh, you're born in the spirit, and Jesus would call that being born again. In John 3, verse 3, if you're there, look what it says. By the way, one of the greatest religious leaders of his day, a very, very good man, came and said, what do I need to do to go to heaven? What do I need to do to have this be true for me? And Jesus said this in chapter 3, verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb, can he? Now, now, I want you to catch what Jesus said. Now, now, remind this, I want to make sure this is clear. It's not what I'm saying. It's not even, it is what Crossroads believes, but that's not why it makes it true. Jesus said, you must be born again or you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. I was talking with a lady one time and and she was sharing with me and she goes, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not born again and I never want to be. And I thought, oh my gosh, you don't have a clue what you're saying. See, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So how do I go from exploring to a true conversion connection? Well, I've got to be born again. Now, now that means we want to look at the physical process of being born and compare that to the spiritual process. And when we do, we're going to understand how believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized gets me to a place where I know him. But, but just so we're all on the same page, I want you to watch the physical process uh, of how someone is born. This came from CSI of all places, but watch this. I don't know about you, but I love that whole scene. It just like takes it from beginning to end. You see the sperm heading out there. By the way, Tony Campolo said this. He said, you should never feel like a loser because you beat out six million sperm to be you. And uh, I mean, you started your life winning the race, right? So... But, but you know what, I want you to think about that because how does it happen? Well, what happens, obviously, there's this egg and, and the egg has the sperm come around it. And the word sperm literally means seed. Jesus said, Jesus said that the word of God is like seed which a sower went out to sow. In other words, he considered that the truths in here seed. And, and your heart is like the egg. And what happens is in the physical process, there's this egg and the sperm come and they all try to, to get in and to be embraced into this. But, but very often it's repelled off and repelled off. But then finally it happens. There's the egg there and the sperm hits and, and it, it received inside. The seed goes in and life erupts. You see, you might have heard a lot about God, but it kind of bounces off. You might have heard a lot about the idea of Jesus, and you go, oh, okay. But a day comes where it just doesn't enter your head. It hits your heart in such a way, and you go, I believe. I believe. And that's what it comes down to. Not, by the way, believing in your head, but your heart. Look at John 3, verse 16, and Jesus said this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world would be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but don't miss this, 
But he who does not believe in him has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Remember in Romans 10, 9, it says you must believe with your heart. Now, I want you to grab that because the Greek word believe is actually better translated faith. To really have faith in God. It's a Greek word, pistos. And pistos means to, to literally believe in such a way that your whole heart is caught up in it. Your whole life is caught up in it. You've thrown every bit of who you are into it. And, and that's what it would mean. Uh, imagine that I, I finally get to do Ronnie and Natalia's wedding or Tony gets to do it or some, I mean, let's say I get to. And, 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 and we want that to happen really soon. But anyway, um, so they're standing up here and I look at Natalia and I say, do you believe in Ronnie? Well, I'm not asking her to go, well, of course I believe in him. I'm holding his hands, I'm touching him. He gave me this awesome ring. Dude, you better deliver a hot ring. And, uh, uh, and, and, and you know, that's not, she could go through all the evidences of his physical existence but you and I know that's not what we're asking. Do you believe in him? If I grab a wife and say, do you believe in your husband? Or a husband, do you believe in your wife? It's a loving trust. It's a willingness to say, I'm willing to envelop my life with you and live with you and for you. And God says, are you ready to do that with me? Are you ready to open up and believe in such a way that you're going to receive me with everything about who I am? And, and that's where it all begins. And when that happens, life erupts, conception happens, and you become, in that moment, a, literally a, a Christian. You're, you're born again at that point. And it happens when you believe. It bond faith in Christ is where it's accessed. But, but let's talk about what it means. You see, if I believe this, I believe, number one, that I have sin in my life, and I know the failings I have, the meanness I've had, the deceptiveness I've had, the horrible attitudes I've had, the evil that exists within me, and I believe with all my heart that God loves me so much, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. And by the way, if you're new to all this, you're probably wondering, why are we so passionate? Because it's not a religion, it's the fact that Jesus, who we love with all our heart, died a painful death for us. And that's not okay. It hurts. If you were journaling with us and we went through the book of Luke, I don't know if you share this with me. I mean, I love the Bible, but every time I get to the Passion Week and I understand what's about to happen and the pain he went through and the agony and the horror of the cross, man, I grieve just reading that because he died for me. That's why I said a level four person's not thinking they're perfect. We're more aware than ever that God loves us beyond ourselves. That this thing called grace, he loves us in spite of who we are. And, and it makes me want to do something. It makes me want to live my life for him. You see, if I really truly believe that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for me, and he did go in a tomb, and he did rise again, and he does love me, I'm not just going to sit back and go, thanks. No, I'm going to want to live my life with him and for him. And you know what? That's what happens. That's that driving moment. If I really believe some action is going to take place, and what's the action that takes place? Are you ready? I'm going to repent. Believing drives me to repent. And, and by the way, if you uh, have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians 7. We're going to get there in a second. But, but I found that the majority of people I talk to don't understand what repentance means. Let me tell you that to repent does not mean you're sorry. Uh, one time we were having to, to confront a guy over some pretty horrible life decisions he had made that really were wreaking havoc and hurting other people. And uh, I remember looking at him and I said, dude, you need to repent. And someone sitting there goes, well, he has repented. Look how sorry he is. No, no, no. Sorrow isn't repentance. Repentance is an action. 
In his case, we'd know he repented if he went and apologized. We'd know he repented if he cut off a particular relationship. We'd know he repented if he actually moved into a different setting physically. We knew the very fruits of repentance. To say, oh, I'm sorry, got us nothing at that point. He needed to take some action based on knowing that what he had done was wrong. The word repent is a Roman term that literally means about face. If you were in the Roman army and you were marching this way and they said repent, you would turn around and go the other way. See, to repent is to make a 180 degree turn in how you live your life. What are we talking about here? Before you're a, 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 in the conversion process, you know who we live for? We live for self. I might even go to church because church makes me feel good. I might read the Bible so I could be a better person. I might sing some songs and even give to the church because that means I'm a good guy. And you know what it's all about is me. And as long as the church pleases me, then that's fine. Because the truth of the matter is, I walk in here believing the church owes me and should worship me. By the way, a lot of people live like that. You probably have caught, we're not real good at doing that with you, are we? But uh, 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 that's how many people live. And then when I get married, I want that wife to please me. If my wife doesn't please me, she's out the door, I'll go get another one. I want my kids to please me, and I want them to live their life to make my life better. And every friend I have better value me. And you might say, I'm not that way. Oh, really? Really? Because i got to tell you, when push comes to shove, I found people being very much that way. But when I do a repentance move, and I turn around, guess what? It's all about God. I go to church to bless God. I go to church to worship God. I read the Bible to get closer to God and to have him direct my life. I give to God because he commanded me to. I, I share about God because I love him. And when I walk in the door and look at my wife, I think, God, how can I do something that would just literally blow her mind and let her know how valuable she is to you? And I could care less if she does one thing for me tonight because all I care about is going in and being a kind of husband who says, God, this should be to your glory. And when I grab my kids, I want to love my kids and give to my kids and put them ahead of me because God has called me to do that. And when I have a friend, I want to love him to the point I die for him. And it, you know what? Regardless of what happens in my life, and you you don't have to do anything for me because Jesus already did everything for me. So I want to go and love and care for you. See, that's how we live. When I go to work, I don't go to work for me. The Bible says we don't do it. And it's I pleaser, so everybody thinks I'm great. I go in there to give glory to God. It's a whole change. And when I do that repentance move, that's what God wants me to do. And, and on, uh, on the very first Sunday when this message was unveiled in its fullest and everybody realized who Jesus was, that he had died on the cross and risen from the dead, and the very people who had yelled, crucify, crucify, are standing there going, oh, it was him, the Messiah we've longed for. We, we called for his death. What are we going to do? And Peter said these words in Acts 2.38. He said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said repent, repent. It's interesting that at the end of Luke, uh, Jesus said, I want you to bring the message of repentance to everyone for forgiveness of sins. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for anybody to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This is God's great desire. And it's not about being sorry. It's about changing a, a perception between me and God that I understand that he is Savior and Lord and I want to live for him and with him. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 9, if you're there, it says this. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. He goes, I'm not glad you were sorry. What I'm glad about is when you got sorry, it made you change your life. It made you repent. For you were made sorry according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God, 
produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. See, God doesn't want you walking around filled with guilt and despair and depression. God says, okay, let's get honest about some of the failings in your life. Guess what? I couldn't love you more than I do. So turn around and start living the life you were supposed to live. Start being the person you were supposed to be. Don't miss this. There isn't a person in this room today who, first of all, God doesn't love you. And second of all, there isn't anybody here today that God didn't lay out a plan that he would have to have you live. Things he would have you experience. Things he would have you do. Adventures to take. Battles to have victory over. And God did not cause anybody here to live a life that has insignificance to it. He made you to be significant and to have meaning and to live a life that doesn't have regret. And God goes, come live this with me. Come live this for me. Now, how do we repent? We repent by actually saying, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and the leader of my life. I want your forgiveness. I want your love. I want to be who you meant, called for me to be. And I want to live the life you have me live. That's why every single service we end by asking people today, if you're just ready to enter this relationship, pray that prayer with me. Now, it's not the words. It's what it's in your heart. And if you say it with meaning, God in that moment says, then you're ready to go on. And what's it like? Well, that when you believe, it's like the sperm hitting in the egg and life erupts. And when you repent, what happens is you turn and you're starting to live in such a way that your life takes on shape. It takes on Christ-likeness and you're different. People walk up and say, dude, what's up, man? Your mouth has changed. A lot of those words that were flowing out, they're different now. And you look at them and say, well, you know, Jesus changed my heart. And they look at you and say, man, you know what? You don't get angry like you used to. And you say, well, you know, I've learned it's not worth it. Jesus changed my heart. And, and then after a while, they're walking up and asking you advice. Dude, I'm having family problems. Can you help me? And, and you know why? Because Jesus changed your heart. And they're seeing Christ-likeness there. My uh, grandson, my newest grandson, is this big. He's still in the womb, but he's this big. And uh, you know what is, uh, when we saw the ultrasound of him, man, he was the cutest thing I think I've ever seen in my life. And he's yawning and smiling and sticking his finger, and he's this big. But you know what? He's got that shape there, that, 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 like you can almost see what he's going to look like. And when you repent, that's what happens. You grow to that point. Then, then you start by believing, and then you grow into repenting. And then what happens is you go to the confession place, or you're ready to tell people. Now, now I would say this, about 90% of most women, when they get pregnant after a few months, they start to show. You know, in other words, you know, the baby makes such a, a, an obvious uh, a change in their body and starts taking over in such a way that they start kind of protruding out there and, 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 and they can see that. And, and what happens when you walk up to a girl who's pregnant and, and you say, oh my gosh, you're pregnant. And it's usually they'll go, oh, I am. Oh, and they get all excited. And you know, they love that baby and they're excited about that baby. Every now and then you're like, ah, yeah. And I don't know if that means they don't want the baby. It could just be a bad night or nights or multiple nights. Anyway, and, uh, uh, and, and that happens. Michelle Caranda, who goes here, is just an amazing woman of God, her and Nick. And they, she's pregnant. And I remember going up to her, and she wasn't showing yet. And I said, are you okay? And she had been sick day after day after day. The morning sickness was horrible. And I said, are you all right? And she said, man, today was a rough one. And I said, oh. She goes, no, no, no. She goes, every time I get sick, it's a sign the baby's okay. And, and, and in her, she was ready to tell everybody, I love this baby. I care about this baby. This baby's it. You see, God says when you reach that place, you want to tell people. They can see the difference, but you want to tell them about the Lord. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, remember it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. In Matthew 10, verse 32, it says, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men... 
I will confess before my Father who's in heaven. But he who denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father who's in heaven. Now, by the way, how does that work? Does it mean, okay, I guess I better go out and tell everybody? You know, yeah, kind of, but not really. What happens? Jesus said that out of the treasure of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said, whatever fills your heart is what's going to come out of your mouth. By the way, that's really true. If you're walking in a mall at Christmas time with a cup of coffee and someone bumps you, what's coming out of the cup is coffee. It's going to go flying in the air. If you're walking in the mall at Christmas time and someone bumps you, what comes out of your mouth is what's in here. And if it's like, oh, you, you know, and we won't say those, uh, then that's, that's in your, but if it comes out, oh, I'm sorry, are you okay? Can I, then that shows the caringness is there more. By the way, when you're in a set, setting where just living life, if you really love Jesus, you'll talk about him. You know, I love my wife. I love Pam with everything I've got. And whenever I travel, I don't go, okay, Pam, give me a picture, and I'm going to promise I'll three times I'll share about who you are. You know, I don't do that. But I've never yet been in a, a relational setting talking with anybody that Pam doesn't come up. My dental hygienist has never met Pam, but she thinks she knows her like, perfectly. I mean, when I, I sit down in that chair and she goes to work on me, there's two things she knows. One is that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life and I want her desperately to come to know him and she's right on the edge. And the second thing is that I love my wife with everything I have and I don't walk in the room saying, how can I say more today? I just sit down and it starts coming. And, and you know what? That's what God wants you to do. It just flows out. And it's like that baby showing. You know, you can see it there. You know, by the way, Michelle now is showing. I mean, she's really showing. If you get close and she turns, she'll knock you over. But, uh... uh you know, it, it, but that baby, and she's just, it, the baby's making it known. And there's this confession to it. And then the last step is being baptized. Baptism, which you witnessed today, is an outward sign of an inward faith, but it's very, very meaningful in the salvation process. Turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, and I want you to see it. Remember when Peter was asked, how do we be saved? What shall we do? He said, repent and let each one of you be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul, in the book of Romans chapter 6, talking about baptism, said this. He said, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in the Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, listen to these words. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Did you catch what Paul said? He said, first of all, every one of us were baptized. Now let me explain what baptism is and is not. The word baptized literally means to dip, submerge, or plunge. It means total immersion. If that's not what occurred, there was no baptism. It has to have total immersion to it. Why? It's a picture of the death and burial of Jesus. When a person's baptized and we put them under the water, they're entering a watery grave just as Jesus entered the tomb. And it's to be a picture of that. Now, now the other thing you need to know is that when Jesus went out proclaiming baptism, it was something the Jewish people already knew. If I was a Gentile and wanted to become Jewish... I would actually enter a process that I could learn some things and I would show myself approved to do it and then the, I would be circumcised and then the ending of the process is I'd be baptized. And they would stand me in the water and say, now you're a Gentile and they'd put me under the water and say, die and I'd be raised up. They'd say, now you're a Jew. And the idea is that the old Gentile's dead and gone and it's a picture of death and resurrection. Jesus took that very beautiful ceremony and said, that's what I want to do with you. 
I died on the cross for you. I went in the grave for you. I came out for you. And now I want you, when you go under that water, to say, Lord, I'm ready to die myself and to live for you. And everything about who I am is totally committed to you. And don't miss this. The Bible says when you do that, you're doing it with Jesus. It's one of the most beautiful worship experiences you could ever have. And when you're laid back in that water, it's just like he throws his arms around you and he says, I love you. And we're doing this together. And I know you love me. And you go under and you come up with him. Now, let me tell you this. This is probably very important to know. Why do some churches sprinkle babies? Well, the reason they do is because there was a, 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 a misstep, a, 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 something done that was incorrect in about the year 300, when what happened is there became a fear that if somebody died without being baptized, they'd go to hell. So the reason babies were baptized is because if a baby died without being baptized, they thought that God would send that baby to hell. Does anybody here believe God would send a baby to hell? There's no way. He doesn't do that. Matter of fact, there's over and over in Scripture, we know that God would never do that to a baby. We know there's an age of accountability where you choose God. And at that point, that's where baptism takes place. But because they were so afraid that babies would be sent to hell, that's why they started first submerging them and then changing it to sprinkling. But that misses the point of baptism completely. Baptism is something you do to show outwardly what inwardly has been happening. That you believe in Jesus with all your heart. That, that you're really to pray and say, I want him as Lord of my life. That I want to confess him. And baptism is a part of the confession process. And I want to worship him in this amazing experience. And that's why, look at 1 Peter chapter 3, what it says in verse 21. Corresponding to that now, baptism saves you. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but the appeal of God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. Did you see those words, baptism now saves you? That scares a lot of people because they think they don't understand it. Don't miss the next line. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh. It's not the water. Although the water is an outward picture. That's not what saves you. What saves you is the appeal to God for a clear conscience. That I believe in him. That I want to appeal to him for cleansing of my sin. That I want his life to be mine and I want to live for him. It's what's done in the appeal. Now this gets important to understand too. Have you guys ever seen a baby make a commitment to Christ? Have you ever seen a baby go, I'm sorry, I confess now, I've never seen that. Maya is just nine months old. The other day, I have her in my arms. She reaches up and grabs my beard and pulls as hard as she can, and it hurt. And I go, ow! Did you think she went, oh, I'm sorry, forgive me? No, she was like, oh, cool, she's pulling, you know. <laughs> you know what? It's, 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 it's okay, because we know she doesn't know any better. And you know what? It says that if baptism's done correctly, don't miss, if baptism's done correctly, you're appealing to God. You're, you're talking to God. You're sharing with God, I want a clear conscience. Now, now, here's where I'm going. How does believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized get me to know God? How does it get me up here? How do I enter into a personal relationship with him? Well, what, what we're saying is this. It's just like the birth process. You see, uh, uh, when my wife got pregnant with our first son, Rich, I did all the reading I could on it, and I found out something that almost all of you know is true, is that in about, you know, fourth month in, or even actually sooner than that, the baby actually can start being aware of its surroundings. The baby can hear the mother's voice and imprints to that. If there's a loving father around, the baby can start to know who the father is and print to him. By the way, they've done studies and found when there's uh, joyous and laughing, the baby sometimes responds to that. Or when there's a very violent situation and anger and intensity, the baby actually tries to hide within the womb from it. 
I mean, the baby's that cognizant of what's going on. And, 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 and so here's the point is that when they're in the womb, they start to know somebody. They start to enter into a relationship. Uh, two weeks ago, I had two different families come up to me with brand new baby boys their first week in church. And, and I got to hold them both. And both of them just cuddled right up to me. And, and the, both of the moms said, you know what? They know you. They knew me. Why? They've been sitting fifth, you know, for nine months hearing my sermons. And, and then one of the moms said, yeah, you know what? As soon as they hear your sermon, they go right to sleep. <laughs> Some of you go, yeah. <laughs> no, the little boy, he just cuddled up and went right out. I'm like, okay. But you know what? More than ever, not just babies in the church, my son did that. And I remember when I read it, I started talking to Rich when he was in the womb. I, I would actually tell jokes to him. And I think he thought my jokes were funny. And, uh, and, and one night, this really happened. I walked in and Pam's laying there. And I said, is Rich up? Because he was a very active baby. And she said, no, he's asleep. Chuck, don't. I go, no, 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 I got to talk to him. And I did. I leaned over, and her, her stomach's there, and I put my hand there, and I said, rich buddy, rich buddy, hey, man, I'm home. How you doing? All of a sudden, I'm not kidding, I felt his hand push or something push against me. And so I move my hand over here, and I go, hey, dude, and I'm not kidding, he pushed. And then I went over here, and he pushed. And, I, and then I, Pam's going, whoa, you know, and, uh, but, but. Man, I, I spent, I don't know how long, just talking and touching and moving, and, and somehow he knew. And I won't go into the whole story, but then when it came day for him to be born, um, all of a sudden, things went wrong. And I'm standing in there and, and trying to coach Pam through the Lamaze method, and, and then she, her eyes roll back in her head, and the nurses are rushing. They were already concerned. And the doctor comes walking in, not realizing how bad it is, calmly walks in, stops. He takes a look at Pam, reaches and grabs her to feel here. He looks at the machine. He grabs me and says, you got to get out now. And he throws me. And this is a big guy. And he said, Chuck, out of here. I don't have time to deal with you. Out, out, out. And the nurses are shoving me out the door. And I hear him screaming, get her to, you know, get her to emergency surgery. And they're calling for an anesthesiologist. And it actually comes up on the speakers, code blue, anesthesiologist, T-E-R. And they're rushing around inside. And, and we were, we, I found out later, but I, I kind of knew it then, but I found out later they, they were within minutes from losing Pam and losing Rich. So I started walking down the hallway praying. I'm saying, God, I don't know what's going on, but please, please protect my wife and my son. And, and I walk from about here to where those doors are and turn, and I hear a voice yell, Mr. Boer, Mr. Boer. And I turned around, and the nurse is standing there with Richie in her arms, and he's screaming. I mean, in the time it took to make that walk, they had taken her into the ER. They had cut open her stomach and got him out. And he's screaming, and he's not even cleaned up yet. And she goes, come, come. She knew how upset I was. And so we go into the, the, the nursery, and we're standing there, and they're trying to clean him up and trying to make sure he's okay. And, and there's these nurses that are phenomenal. I love those nurses to death. And they saw how upset I was. And even though I wasn't wearing the clothes or whatever, they go, here. And they reached a hand and him over. The screaming baby, ah, and I got him in my arms. And I said, Rich, and he stopped. Now, those nurses were way better babies than I was. But why did he stop for me? Matter of fact, he stopped and he started doing the Stevie Wonder kind of thing, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and I held him there and I'm like, man, you're okay, you're okay. It was, he knew me. Those women were way better with babies, but he knew me. See, the conception occurred, and he began to grow, and we began to imprint together, and he got so big, he showed, and, and then he was born, and we knew each other. Now, we know each other way better today, but back then, we knew each other. 
That's what it means to enter this personal relationship. So I want to ask you, have you believed in God enough to the point you said, you know what, I want to live my life with him and for him. I actually love him. I know he loves me. Have you ever prayed sincerely, not just said words, but sincerely said, I want to give my life to you and I want to live the life you have for me and I want to be who you made me to be and I, I just, I want to do your will and not my will. Have you ever been willing to go and tell people or have you been baptized and where are you in the process? And if you're a level four person, you're going to say, man, I want every part of it. I want every part of it. And, and today, if you've never prayed and given your life to Jesus Christ, what we're going to do in a minute is I'm going to go to a time of prayer. And today, if you want to, for the very first time, say yes to him and commit to him. Uh, uh, to repent is what it would be. I'm going to stop in the middle of the prayer time and I'm going to lead a prayer where you can commit your life to Christ with me. And I'll pray a line of it and stop and let you whisper the words with me. Uh, uh, and then we'll take you to the next step. By the way, today, if you maybe at one point think, but you know what, I used to know him. I used to be in love with God. I used to be living this life, but it's not anymore. So I either blew it or I faded away or something's wrong, we're not close. You know what God tells you to do? He says, not start over, but recommit to it. He says, do what you did at first. In other words, today, if, if you want to come back to the Lord, I want you to know he loves you. He wants you back. I believe the Spirit will stir and draw you. And I'm going to ask you also to pray that prayer with us, to, to pray those words. So we're going to go to prayer time now. But if you sense you either need to give your life to Christ or recommit, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to pray with me. Let's go to God. Father, I thank you that you love us. And I thank you, Lord, that you have provided a way where we literally will spiritually be born again into a relationship with you that's amazing and real and intimate and where we live like we're meant to live and we live with you and for you. And God, I thank you for that. And Father, I ask right now that your Holy Spirit would fill this room. I ask God that you would begin to stir on every person here. And for those who need to commit their life to you or recommit their life to you, Father, I ask that you would especially touch them now. And somehow deep down inside, they would know this is their moment. And they're ready for this and you want this for them. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, I'm going to ask you right now to pray for those who need to make this decision. Together, say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, to make me new to make me yours and I say yes I want this and I want you so I open my heart to you please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you have created me to be and to live the life that you have for me to live and this I pray in Jesus name Amen Wow, praise God for all of you who did that. Wow.